When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. In today's interview, I am talking with Crystal Mazzola about her new book, The Codependency Recovery Plan. This straightforward and thoughtful book presents an enlightening look at codependency, explaining where it comes from and detailing a clear pathway out. You learn all about codependency, its symptoms, and the factors that contribute to its development. The book offers guidance on ways to recognize codependent behavior, become a better communicator, set boundaries, mend romantic relationships, and raise your self-esteem. Chapter exercises provide a workspace for self-reflection so that you can see your situation with fresh eyes and gain a new perspective on your own life. The author, Crystal Mazzola, is the CEO of the Healthy Relationship Foundation, which offers online courses, coaching, and information to help others recover from codependency while building better relationships. You may connect with her by visiting her website, which is healthyrelationshipfoundation.com. Again, that's healthyrelationshipfoundation.com. Welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Elizabeth Cronin, a host of the podcast. And today I'm here with Crystal Mazzola to talk about her book, The Codependency Recovery Plan. She also has the Codependency Workbook. So thanks for being here today, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me on, Elizabeth. So we like to start by just getting to know a little bit about you and how you came to write these books. Wonderful. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And even when I'm working with individual clients, they're really coming to me primarily for their relationship needs. And early in my career, I saw a lot of people who were discussing symptoms of codependency, and they were really struggling with that. But they didn't understand what codependency was, they didn't have an awareness of it, or an unclear definition. And so I realized that while it's incredibly common and pervasive, Codependency, I think that 
we actually live in a codependent culture. We're kind of raised in a way that sets us up often for codependency. Even though it's so pervasive, it's often not highly discussed or misunderstood. And because it is so important to name a process that's going on so we can get to recovery, I wanted to create this book. You know, borrowing from Dr. Dan Siegel, he says that we need to name it to tame it. He was talking about children with that phrase. Uh, but I love this idea that once we can name a process that's going on for us, like codependency, then we can find our way to recovery much more quickly and readily. So for people that are listening who don't know what codependency is, and I completely agree with you. I think it's so common. It's probably like everything on a spectrum. So some people really would relate and some people would be like, I'm kind of like that. But can you tell, tell listeners what, how do you know, what does codependency look like? Wonderful question. Thank you. It, it's, still complex to define codependency simply because it's not in the DSM and there's a lot of back and forth and even the experts use different definitions of codependency. For me, I like to say very simply, codependency is an experience of having a lens of the world that is external rather than internal. So the opposite of codependency is interdependency. When we're interdependent, we first and foremost know what our needs, wants, feelings, thoughts, and limits are. And we live our experience in the world from that place of self-awareness and being rooted with what works for us and our authentic boundaries and really being true to ourselves. And it doesn't mean we don't negotiate in our relationships. We absolutely have intimacy and connection. But first and foremost, we're rooted in what we need in life. Whereas a codependent person, when they're experiencing codependency, is going to be focused on what other people need, want, feel, or think, and create their lives based on this idea. One of my clients gave me a definition of codependency, which I actually think is the best, which is it's when a person puts other people's okayness over their own okayness. And I really like the simplicity of that. So that's the, the definition I like of it is that it's an external rather than an internal focus. But the symptoms of codependency include issues with self-worth, boundary issues, people pleasing. And also with boundary issues, we're going to have issues around even knowing what our truth is or what our own thoughts and feelings are, uh, which means that we sometimes are confused around reality, which makes us really susceptible to gaslighting. Like, no, you didn't hear that. Or I didn't really say that when we don't really know what our truth is, or we're not connected to that, we're going to get confused about reality more commonly. So issues with self-worth issues with self-awareness, and then also intimacy issues we see primarily issues around a fear of abandonment or like a desperate clinging to relationships aligned with that people pleasing. But sometimes with codependency, you're going to see intimacy issues that are the, on the other extreme, which are more people who are overly independent and don't let people become close to them. They don't allow connection in their lives and they don't seek support or help as needed. So I understand this as a, you know, a fellow therapist, I understand this and I, I see how this shows up in people's lives. But for those who are less familiar with this, like, well, how would that happen? You know, like what, what's the background 
for someone who becomes a people pleaser and worries about the okayness of someone other than themselves? Yeah, thank you. First of all, I just want to say that if any of the listeners are relating to any of these symptoms, I just want to validate that it's incredibly common. And there are various issues that set us up for codependency, which include family issues when we're growing up or traumas. Uh, I And trauma just means a wound. Anything that kind of wounded our sense of self can set us up for codependency. But as I said before, we live in a culture that really emphasizes this idea that we need other people's approval. I, a lot of the marketing and advertising we see is based on this idea that you're not enough as you are, that you need that mascara, you need that new phone, you need the new car, whatever it is to be okay. And that alone can set us up for codependency, that type of programming that you're not okay just as you are in your own existence, that you don't have inherent worth, that can set you up for this sense of I need other people's approval. I need other people to say I'm okay because I don't believe I'm enough on my own. That fundamentally, this sense of not being enough can come from our large cultural messages that include marketing and advertising, but they also can include messages that we pick up from our families and they don't even need to be doing anything, you know, quote unquote, wrong or bad that sometimes we just pick up messages that we're not okay as we are. For example, let's say you love drawing. And as a kid, you let your parents know that you want to be an artist when you grow up. And they tell you that that's not realistic. And, you know, that's not going to happen for you. Then you might think, oh, my love of creativity, my love of art, that's not enough. I'm not enough. And thereby it creates a core wound within you that makes you constantly seek other people's approval. And it can manifest in a lot of ways. For some people, their codependency is much more prevalent in their romantic relationships. For others, it's their friendships. For others, it's work. So that kiddo who is told, oh, you can't be an artist, then they might, you know, seek professional success. They might go into business and they might always be denying themselves, but always looking for that validation, that next big number, you know, of their income or more customers, whatever it might be, more locations, just to feel like they're good enough in their own self. But You know, I love this idea of the hungry ghost, that when we're codependent, it's never enough. Because when we feel like we're not enough, no matter how much we get other people's approval or validation or with the relationship, if we're finally, quote unquote, chosen by the partner and we get married, it never really takes away the sense that we're not enough on our own. So anytime we grew up in a a way or we experienced wounding that made us feel like we're not enough, that really sets us up for codependency. And so as you can see, it's incredibly common because a lot of people live with that core sense that they're not enough. Yeah, so it's so interesting because I think a lot of it goes back to to like generational trauma. The, The fact that this is a country founded by so many people that left another country and why would they leave their country? Maybe looking for a place they felt they would fit in better or belong. Or So it's kind of interesting to think about it like that. Um, but I know that you've really dedicated so much of your professional life to this. And so I wanted to give you a chance to maybe get into a little bit about how do people heal from this? Or how, how do you move beyond this when you've got this ingrained sense that you're not enough and you need to get other people to validate you. Yeah, thank you. So 
it's, I want to first emphasize that recovery is completely possible. We absolutely can become interdependent. I also think that another word for interdependency is when we have secure attachment, when we just know in our worth and we trust that the people in our lives care about us and we feel secure in ourselves and in our relationships. It's absolutely possible to get there. The recovery process it's, has a variety of steps in it. In my book, The Codependency Recovery Plan, I talk about the five steps which are to prioritize self-care, to build self-awareness, to have healthy boundaries, improve your communication skills, and improve your intimacy skills, which includes being able to be appropriately vulnerable with other people, which is also an extension of healthy boundaries. So they kind of overlap. But what I have found fundamentally, and I'm personally in recovery for codependency, I really struggled with it for the majority of my life. It created a lot of pain and it coincided with a lot of depression and anxiety as well as PTSD for me. And, but I have found my way to recovery and what I've learned both in my own healing work and in dedicating my professional life to supporting my clients over the last 11 years in healing codependency is that the practice of codependency recovery is about healthy boundary setting, which is complex. And there's a lot of steps within that. And the most important quality to embody to recover from codependency is to get to the experience of unconditional self-love, to know that you have inherent worth and you matter no matter what you've been told or what society says, we all have equal worth and value. And so learning that to fully love yourself, which I think it's lip service in our culture, but I've met many people who are disconnected from self-love. So when you truly love yourself and you have healthy boundaries, that's when you experience complete codependency recovery. It's so interesting. I'm going to go off on a tangent a little bit here, but I, I have training in mindfulness meditation and you're actually getting me to think about, it is a powerful practice to, to develop a practice of meditation because one of the things that it does is it, it helps People sit quietly and become aware of the way that they they're having thoughts like I need this, I need so and so's approval. I'm not, and you just become aware that a lot of what you were mentioning in our culture, we internalize and we say to ourselves over and over again. And when you quiet down, although that thinking, when you just turn the volume down on it, that inherently in each of us is a sense of our own value. It's like. It's not out there somewhere where you have to find it. It's actually within us. And what you were just saying, you know, really helped me remember like, yeah, that, that's what, that's a very powerful shift. So it's instead of finding it, it's sort of like remembering, remembering it. It's already within you. And, you know, you think about a newborn and infant and they're all worthy. I mean, we're all worthy. We arrive being worthy. And then I think you're, you're just saying that the messages and our life experiences start to make us question that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, I will validate that a big part of recovery, I think in general, is going to be a mindfulness practice, whether we're talking about anxiety or codependency or depression or anything else, addiction mindfulness is so important. And I love what you're talking about with meditation. It's been an important part of my own healing. And I 
absolutely advocate for mindfulness and meditation in my clients because it does help you remember who you are. When you're living in this codependent experience, it's almost like this desperate clinging energy where you're always seeking this approval to feel like you're enough. But when you do quiet the mind, like you're saying, when you do go into meditation, you can get to the place where you connect with your inherent self-worth. And it first starts by seeing those messages that you picked up. I learned, for example, I learned that I'm not allowed to create art, that that's not a viable option in my life. Do I agree or disagree? Am I going to take that in or do I get to create art now? So you get to make conscious decisions once you become mindful. And so I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I think it, I think it's really important. I think that's an important part of the healing because um, the, the five steps that you provide, which I was on Amazon looking at or Goodreads looking at the reviews and people love the way you put that out there in the book. They love the simplicity of it. They love that it makes sense. And that, I mean, there were people who said they were tearing up on, by the time they got to page 17. So, you know, I know that, you know, it's a, you found a very powerful way to, to get through to people. And so they recognize the experience. I think, though, too, that it's really important, the practices you, you suggest, but also to have a relationship with someone. And, you know, I wondered if you would maybe say a little bit about your experience of therapy, because I, I do think getting into therapy, it's a really big task. While so many people are codependent and it's possible to recover, there's a lot to do on your own entirely. I agree completely. And... So if I'm hearing you correctly, you want to discuss the value of therapy with codependency recovery? Yeah, just I know you have so much experience, you know, providing therapy. And I just wondered if you could say something about the power of a healing relationship, too. Oh, absolutely. I, I think in general, I'm, I'm a big advocate for therapy. I think that we all don't know what we don't know. And a lot of us at some point in our lives growing up, we're not taught the full skills that we need to manage our emotions well, to handle conflict with grace and efficacy, to assert our needs kindly, but firmly to even develop self-awareness that we weren't taught these skills growing up, many of us, and thereby going into therapy is just an educational process where you can learn these skills to really make life feel peaceful and the word abundant comes to my mind, life just really seems to work out more when you have these life skills, when you can handle life with grace and mindfulness and stay connected to your sense of self-worth and communicate effectively, life is going to work out better. And therapists are really just teachers for these life skills. And the, the thing I love about therapy is that when you're going to a licensed professional is that, as you know, we're trained in these um, practices, the licensure process, we're held to a high standard. And so everything that we're teaching our clients is based on practices that are proven effective. Everything that I teach fundamentally goes back to strategies that are proven effective by research. I might not always make that obvious or clear in my work, but that's the great thing about a therapist is they're going to guide you to these life skills based on things that are proven to work, not just theory, not just someone's hopeful advice or, theor you know, theoretical advice, they're really able to guide you. So in, I think in general, 
I'm a big advocate for therapy, whatever is coming up in life. When it comes to codependency, I think that entering a healing therapeutic relationship is invaluable because often when we're experiencing codependency, we don't have maybe any interdependent relationships in our life. We don't know what that looks like to have this healthy sense of self, healthy boundaries, and have someone else in our life who completely respects that and is rooted in their own sense of self and has healthy boundaries. A lot of times like attracts like in relationships. So if we're codependent, we're attracting other people who are codependent as well. It might manifest very differently. You know, you might have the typical presentation of codependency with one person where they're more needy and they are more obsessive about their partner. And maybe on the other extreme, the more independent or even narcissistic presentation of codependency where they're uh, completely avoidant and not engaged, but like attracts like both of them are experiencing symptoms of codependency. And so in a healing therapeutic relationship with your therapist, you get to experience what an interdependent relationship looks like fully. First of all, it has a lot of safe boundaries, you know, confidentiality for one, that alone is a boundary that makes that relationship safer. And when you're working with a professional, they're there for you. They're not going to talk about themselves uh, unnecessarily. They're going to be mindful about what they share but they're really going to be present with you and you can feel that connection and feeling someone's loving support combined with knowledgeable practices that really work to heal your life. I think that just the experience of an interdependent relationship for the first or time or, you know, a rare time that alone is healing. I've seen a lot of my, my clients heal not just by the practices that I've taught them, but also knowing that they were safe in the space with me. And I liked, I can see that with my clients, they know how much I hold unconditional love and empathy for them. And I think sometimes seeing someone else provide you that unconditional acceptance is really healing. Mm. So that's interesting. And I'm just trying to imagine someone who's listening who doesn't understand it that well. And it, I'm just, the thought came to me that, well, how is providing unconditional love? And I think I know what your answer is going to be, but how, how, what's the difference between unconditional love and codependency? Because unconditional love, you might think is like, oh, I'll love you no matter what, which could be interpreted as like, you know, it doesn't matter how you treat me or, you know, it's all about you and your feelings and your needs. So I wonder if you could, because, you know, I think it has to do with healthy boundaries, but that's also a difficult thing. I think for a lot of people, like what we talk about it, boundaries, healthy boundaries, but what, what is that? And so maybe in the context of that, that unconditional love versus codependency, how and what a boundary is and how that works. Yeah, great questions. Thank you. First and foremost, I'll first speak to this idea of boundaries. A boundary exists to keep us safe. A healthy boundary system has two parts. When we have healthy boundaries, we live our lives in a way where we are safe from others. We protect ourselves from how they treat us, how they speak to us, um, what they say to us so that we truly feel safe in that relationship. For example, a boundary might be you're not allowed to call me names. That's one in my own life. People aren't allowed to yell and they're not allowed to call me names. Like it's a no-go. And so that helps me feel safe in my relationships. 
but also healthy boundaries are about being a safe person for other people. And an example of that is I'm not allowed, if I have a criticism of someone, I'm not allowed to go on and on about it. I'm responsible to share it kindly and clearly and directly in one or two sentences. We don't get to attack someone just because we have a concern. So that's an example of being a safe person for someone else. And so that's what healthy boundaries look like. And uh, I'm doing a lot of hand gestures as we're speaking because it really... I always visualize our boundary system as a bubble around us. I talk about it in the codependency recovery plan. I talk about it a lot in um, videos I do or uh, video lessons that I do. Uh, But a boundary system, I like the bubble because we get to protect ourselves from what other people think or say or feel, and we're responsible to contain ourselves as well um, and filter what we say to other people or how we treat them. So that's the boundary system. There's a lot to say about boundaries, but with the unconditional love, I really love your question because it is so common to get second black and white thinking around this idea of unconditional love and tolerating mistreatment. And those are two different things. I'm a big believer in dialectical thinking. Dialectical behavior therapy is one of my favorite models. And dialectical thinking says that one or more things that sound like opposites can be true at the same time. So it can be true that I unconditionally love and accept you. And it can be true that I am going to protect myself from the way that you treat me if it violates my inherent needs or boundaries. Yeah. So... That, that makes sense. And now I'm uh, another idea has come to me that, for example, in therapy, I think it, it is our job to try to offer our clients a sense of unconditional love and regard and an openness to whatever comes up. And there can be a boundary or a limit on whether or not that person can throw things at us, that you could provide that unconditional love in terms of like, I won't, I will not judge you. I will not betray the confidence I've agreed to. Um, I will not argue with you or try to talk you out of your feelings. I will accept, listen, and honor them. And you can't swear at me. You can't throw things at me that there are also some limitations in there. Is that Mm -hmm. what you're kind of thinking? Absolutely. That's such a great example. And I can still unconditionally love and accept you and not be okay with you throwing things at me. I can not judge you in your throwing of things at me. I can understand that you are having a moment of extreme anger. And I can say, "Mm, this violates my need for physical safety when we're together. And so I'm not going to be able to tolerate that treatment. And then we set different boundaries from there. So great example. And ideally, I think, getting back to what you were saying earlier, ideally, I think in therapy, you get an opportunity for someone to teach you, okay, that isn't going to work. Let's explore how you might handle this differently. Exactly. I always like to think that therapists are enacting the role of the ideal parent, the ideal parent who unconditionally loves us and still sets limits. You know, in the Meadows model, they teach that the ideal parent only has, the functional parent only has three jobs. And that includes parenting, 
literal children, but also reparenting ourselves, which is part of codependency recovery. But when we're the parent to ourselves or to other people, the three jobs are to affirm, nurture, and set limits. So we're loving, we're accepting, we appreciate the other person, we provide them care and support, but at the same time, we're going to set limits. And so I think as a therapist, we get to, we get the special role of being someone's healthy parent that a lot of us didn't get growing up. You know, in my own life, I've done therapy on and off throughout my recovery journey. And the therapist that always sticks out the most to me, who, who helped me the most, he absolutely held space to be the embodiment of a loving, accepting, but limit-setting father, which I never experienced. And that was profoundly healing. Can you say a little bit more about that? I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, (laughs) in our relationship, he always held space for me, no matter what I I was going through. He always made me feel understood and validated and that it made sense why I was struggling in the ways that I was. I was seeing him when I was in my last codependent relationship. It was on and off for four years and incredibly painful. And he always held space for me in that. But at the same time, he also noticed my behaviors. I, he once told me actually that uh, I was acting in a way that was desperate. And I was so appalled and I was so angry. And he gave me space to be angry at his word and to scoff and to say, I didn't like that. And he let me hold that space, but he didn't back down. He didn't change his mind. He didn't placate me and say, oh, no, no, you're right. You're not acting desperate. He still held the space that that was his truth, but I was allowed to be upset about. Of course, I just scoffed. I didn't throw anything. Um, But later on, actually, it took me about a couple of years. I always think as therapists were planting seeds and as clients were, you know, that those seeds will sprout sometimes months or even years later. A couple of years later, I realized he was absolutely right. My behavior was desperate. And I understood what he meant by that time, because I had healed enough. I had felt enough self-worth and self-love that I realized, oh, I was clinging to this, this man um, that I was in the relationship with because I thought he was going to give me a sense of self-worth and purpose that I was lacking within myself. Um, so I was in that hungry ghost energy, like I like to discuss, but that is one example, but he just always held space for me, but always maintained his truth and that was incredibly helpful. I like that. I like that example because I think another thing that's unconditional love can provide is a true reflection back to you of what what other people see without that judgment, without you know a sense of disregard for you. It's like what you just described is like, okay, you're acting you, you, this behavior is a little desperate and I, I still, I'm still here for you. We can talk about it. That's not too much for me. And it's, it's something I, maybe I could help you with, which is, I think, again, going back to like a more ideal parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This idea that you're not too much to me for me is so important because the flip side of feeling like we're not enough is I'm too much. I'm too much of this to be left. I'm too sensitive. I'm too this. And so 
to be held in this space of you are enough and you're not too much is so profoundly healing. Yeah. So as, you know, wounded healers, you know, I'm obviously, I can relate to these stories too in my own, my own struggle to, you know, sort of work my way through these, these insecurities and these self-doubts. And I do, I really do appreciate you mentioning the dialectic too, because it goes back to what you were saying earlier, that a lot of the codependency messages or the messages that were not good enough come through our culture. And I remember first learning about the dialectic and, and, and being told, you know, it comes from an Eastern culture where there's a lot more ability to, to appreciate that two things can both be true. Like, like you could have, you could be, and you could be in the moment you describe with your therapist, you could be angry at your therapist and reject what they have to say and be willing to continue the conversation and be willing to come back next week and whatever, you know, um, take that feel safe enough to disagree. So I think that's, I think it's really important. It's um, one of the things I think is exciting about the whole mindfulness movement, really settling into our culture. It's just, it's just going to give people a lot more, as you say, like space to just be free from black and white or all or nothing kind of thinking. Absolutely. I, it's always a celebration when people get out of the all or nothing or black and white thinking and they can move to the dialectics. But I also just want to validate if anyone's listening and confused by this idea that both things can be true. When I was learning this concept, it probably took me six months to really understand it because I was so stuck in concrete thinking. I was either good or I was bad. I was either perfect or I was worthless. My life was either together or it was trash. But to realize like, oh, there are aspects of me that are light and there are aspects of me that are shadow. There are aspects of my life that I really enjoy. There are aspects of my life that I want to heal to kind of move into that dialectical space around me and my life. It, it took me a, a, probably about six months to really understand that concept. I think it was helpful for me as a parent, like when my children would have a fight with a really good friend, I'd say, well, yes, you're really good friends. And you know, good friends have fights. It doesn't mean just because you had a fight with your friend doesn't mean you're not friends anymore. You know, when kids go to that place of like, we had a big fight. I don't think we're friends anymore. And like, no, you can be friends and fight and have a fight. Like, you know, just trying to like, I mean, there are those examples or the, the parent-child relationship, whether you're the parent or the child, you love your parent even when you're angry at them. I'm, I'm, I still love you, but I'm angry. And they're just, again, it's, it goes back to our culture, doesn't do a very good job of reminding us of that. And I mean, I think it goes to the media, like you're either the best at something or you're a loser. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that example. And it absolutely applies to adult relationships as well, that you can have conflict or misunderstanding or not always be on the same page and still love one another and still have a healthy relationship. You know, when I'm helping people recover from codependency and they're trying to figure out what a healthy relationship looks like, that's one of the aspects that we work on often is that 
the, a healthy partner isn't going to agree with you 100% of the time. You're two separate human beings with your own views and values and needs and wants. So you're not always going to be on the same page, thereby negotiation and compromise are the most essential relationship skills that there, there are. Yeah, super important. Um, and just kind of watching the time and I wanted to make sure that I leave some time for you to tell listeners about what you were sharing with me, how you're kind of really interested now and in, in wanting to do something more on self-love. And I wondered if you wanted to say anything more about that. And I also wanted to make sure you can direct people to your website so that people can find your book. I know you have a link on your website to, to purchase the book. And so I just wanted to kind of ask you about, you know, what people could expect might be coming. Wonderful. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm working on my third book right now, which is called Self-Love Made Possible. And it features my self-love system because I have found that out of all the, the qualities, as I said, that are necessary for codependency recovery, it's essential we connect with our own sense of worth and unconditional self-love. And when I didn't love myself and I would hear people say, oh, you just need to love yourself. That will solve your problems. I would actually get really frustrated because there was no system out there. I didn't know how are you supposed to love yourself if no one will teach me how to get there. And so I created a five-step system that I'm featuring in my self-love book. And it's all the steps that actually helped me learn to go from total self-hatred to unconditional self-love. The fact that I now love myself no matter what is truly miraculous. And I want to teach people the same skills. You might not hate yourself. I, and if you don't, I am so glad. But even if you don't like yourself or know yourself, this book will definitely help you get fully connected with yourself. Because I really believe that when you get to know yourself completely, you're going to fall in love with yourself. You just remember who you are, as we were speaking about earlier. And that book will be coming out later this year. I uh, Please look for it, probably pre-order in August or September. That's um, the timeline right now. So Self-Love Made Possible. I'm really excited about that book. It I truly is all my heart and soul in it. It's everything I've learned from my very painful journey, but now very happy journey. And when it comes to my website, you can check out healthyrelationshipfoundation.com. And I have a section for my books, both the codependency recovery plan and the codependency workbook. The codependency recovery plan features that five-step system, whereas the codependency workbook guides you through actual skills and tools using cognitive behavior therapy to put those steps and practices into your life. And Finally, I just want to mention that boundaries skills are so important, but also kind of confusing that we talk a lot about it, but it's also one of those things that can often be confusing about how you actually have healthy boundaries. Therefore, I created a whole course that features my four-step boundary system called Confidently Authentic, Stop People Pleasing and Start Being True to Yourself that is also available on my website. And your website, it's healthy relationships, healthy relationship foundation.com, healthy relationship foundation.com. Okay. That's really important because it's not just your names. People have to Google that and it will be on the, it will also be in the, in the blog, in the uh, written blog too. 
Gosh, thank you so much for giving us so much time today and sharing your insight and your knowledge and talking to us about yourself and your book and really appreciate that. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for providing this space for your listeners. And it's been wonderful connecting. Maybe we'll do it again in a year when you've got your, your next book out. I look forward to it. <laughs>